folks, and welcome to Songs of Our Own, a marital tour through the music that shaped us. I'm your co-host, Lee Strickland. And I'm Allie Oni. Well, hey, Al. Hey, Lee. How you doing? I'm doing okay, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm here with you, so things are wonderful. That's right. We're hanging in there, that's for sure. Yeehaw in this crazy world. Yeah, especially today. Um, Some crazy things happened, Uh, but mostly just in our world. And our listeners uh, probably don't need to know. Yeah, just know that we're thinking about you all. And if you are currently going through crazy things in your lives, too, we feel you. And hopefully this podcast brings you a little bit of joy. Indeed. So, Al, this is our bonus episode for June. Yeah, the best month of the year. It's my birthday month. That's right. Every day is your birthday. (laughs) That would be really nice if that was true. So what song are we talking about tonight? Lee, I am so excited. We are going to talk about Hallelujah, um, originally by Leonard Cohen, uh, with so many beautiful covers. So, so many. So like you said, the song was originally written by Leonard Cohen. Um, It was released in 1984 off of Leonard Cohen's album, Various Positions. Um, Initially, it achieved little success. Uh, it's been covered, where did I write that down? It's been covered at least 300 times. 300? 300 times. So as we were listening to all of these covers in my head, I was thinking, gosh, I could really just listen to covers of Hallelujah all day. And now you're telling me that that could be a reality. I could have 300 versions of this song. Oh, yeah, you could easily do that, especially because some of Leonard Cohen's live versions of it are, you know, 10 plus minutes. Oh, my gosh, Lee, a dream is about to come true. I'm so excited. Yeah. So initially, the song didn't uh, didn't get a whole lot of attention. It wasn't until John Cale, who was the first person to cover the song, covered it and released it, that it started to get some attention. And he covered it and released it. And then another... Um, artist was inspired by John Cale's version. And who could that artist have been, Lee? So that artist was actually a guy named Jeff Buckley. Okay. Who was big in the 90s. He was a session musician um, at the kind of start of the 90s and then set off on his own, had a couple popular albums, uh, and then his life was tragically cut short. Oh. Unfortunately. So Jeff Buckley did his version um, and then the other version most folks I think are familiar with is your favorite version. Oh, yeah. I really love Rufus Wainwright's version. It is going to be really ridiculous. But the first time that I heard this song was actually uh, in the movie Shrek where they have this song playing. And I think it's Rufus Wainwright's version. It might be um, not Jeff Buckley, John Cale. Yep. Um, I think it's his version. But anyway, that's where I heard this song first and fell in love with it. Yeah, so in Shrek, it actually is Rufus Wainwright singing, but his version really closely mirrors John Cale's. Gotcha. So they've all recorded it as well as many, many others. Um, the song is has a 12-8 time signature, mm-hmm. which is um, reminiscent of early rock music and gospel music. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, Cohen wrote around 80 verses in one sitting oh my gosh is that the versions that you were talking about that would be 10 minutes long is with all of those different stanzas in it right 
So he wrote all of those verses in one sitting. He said by the end of his writing for this session, he was sitting on the floor of his hotel room in his underwear, banging his head on the ground. (laughs) You know, that's how I feel about love sometimes. So I really appreciate that image of him as he's trying to write this song. Yeah, so Cohen's original version contains several uh, biblical references Mm -hmm. to Samson and Delilah, King David, and Bethesba? Uh Uh-huh. Bathsheba? Mm, I think I would have to see it to know which one you're talking about. I am not a Bible scholar. I think it's Bathsheba. Um, So he performed it live uh, in 84 and 85, which was the year it was released, And then when he performed it on his 1988 and 1993 tours, uh, it sounded very different. Mm -hmm. So the 84-85 tour was what he had originally recorded. So it was much longer, more biblical. And then in later tours, his version kind of started to emulate um, John Cale's version. Oh, wow. That's a really good tribute to John Cale that the original artist loved your version so much that they started to morph into that or maybe it's just that's the version people were used to so that's what he went with yeah i don't know from what i could find from leonard cohen he said that the song every time it was covered it was like a different song and he really loved to see where it went by each person that covered it so i think he was really paying homage to john Cale by saying let me you know, record this song like you've sung it. Um, So that's probably the version that most folks are familiar with. Uh, Each version, Cohen said, had a lot of different meaning as he took it. So folks think John Cale's version reflects a lot of somberness and sincerity. Um, Jeff Buckley's version is very sorrowful as well as sexual. Hmm, Okay. And then, like I said, Rufus Wainwright uh, covers John Cale's version, so his kind of evokes the same, but it's a little bit different just because I think they're different artists. Yeah, and it's much different tempos. Well, I guess him and John Cale are closer, but I feel like because each artist that covers it has a different tempo, that's how you can get to the different meanings that they're trying to invoke. Right. And then uh, one other thing I'll mention is Bob Dylan was actually among the first artists to perform the song live. So when you were getting ready to talk about Jeff Buckley and how he covered Hallelujah, I definitely thought you were going to go into Dylan. So that's why I was so excited. I was like, ooh, it's a Bob Dylan moment for Lee. Yeah, I'm always excited to talk about Bob Dylan. I kind of wondered why you had gotten so excited. I was like, are you (laughs) secretly this Jeff Buckley fan? And I just don't know. No, I just wanted you to have a Bob Dylan moment. And I just went there too fast. Yeah. So Bob Dylan plays the song in Montreal, July 8th, 1988, uh, which is a fitting, I think, send-off to Leonard Cohen, who is Canadian. Ugh, the Canadians, they always do the best stuff. Yeah, they do. Um, so yeah, Leonard Cohen, Canadian singer-songwriter, poet, and novelist. Um, his work explores Religion, politics, isolation, depression, sexuality, loss, death, and romantic relationships. Hmm. So, Lee, that's the history of the song. Um, Can you go into a little bit of why this song means so much to you? Well, I heard it 
first in the same way that you did off of that Shrek um, movie. And boy, 2001. So I was in probably middle school. Yeah, you would have been in seventh grade, sixth or seventh, because we had 9-11 that year. So oh, we were right. really little. Yeah, so that would have been seventh grade then. Um, so I first heard that there that song in Shrek, and it kind of immediately grabbed me. I think up until that point, the music I was listening to was, you know, 70s power rock. Uh, so I wasn't really listening to lyrics as much. I was just like, oh, yeah, this song's got, you know, a cool guitar solo. And that's really all I cared about. So I was really into, like, ACDC and stuff. Uh, but I heard the song, and I was like, whoa. I was blown away by the lyrics, how it was sung. The, the opening piano chords just really struck me. So after hearing Rufus Wainwright's version, I kind of dived into who Rufus Wainwright was. Because as a kid in middle school... That being the first time I heard it, I was just like, oh, this must be the writer. Yeah, and you want to know all the things about them. So yeah, I want to know all the things about them. So after looking into Rufus Wainwright for a little bit and finding some of his uh, magnificent work, I then found out that that was actually a cover from Leonard Cohen. And I had no idea who Leonard Cohen was. And initially when I heard his version, I was kind of put off a little bit. Because it's so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leonard Cohen as a singer is, he's very different, which I like now. But at the time I was like, whoa, this is like nothing I've ever heard before. Well, and the cool thing about Leonard Cohen's version as opposed to Rufus Wainwright's version is that Leonard Cohen has that choir with him. And I think that makes it even more like churchy gospel-y um, as he probably originally envisioned it as opposed to Rufus Wainwright brought it more into the modern 20 it'd be the 21st century because we're in the 2000s um, so yeah it just it was a really different sound between the two of them yeah and then even hearing like Jeff Buckley's version it's so different than Wainwright and Cohen's and that, you know, you listen to that and it doesn't even sound like the same song. I really loved at the end of Jeff Buckley's version, you can hear whoever it was that was recording it just go, whoa. And I mean, that's how I feel listening to the end of it, too. It's just like, oh, gosh, there was so much in there. Yeah. So this song really started me on a path to finding artists with really powerful lyrics and as well as when I hear a cover, you know, like finding out if it's a cover and then tracing it back to the original song and listening to that and comparing that and kind of seeing the evolution of it over time. So yeah, this song, it means something different. I think every time I listen to it and it's just really powerful, no matter who's singing it and no matter where you hear it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a little bit about what this song means to me. What, uh, What does it mean to you, Al? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It it only takes structure. And, And, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. 
Yeah. Nah, man. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. I gotta lie, don't play with it. Take that shit serious. Oh gosh, the song means so much. You know, I laugh because it came to me in the movie Shrek when I was in fifth grade. Um, But I think when this song really came back to me was when I was in high school and it was right after my student had committed suicide. Um, And what I think is so provocative about this song is that it's about, you know, you think about the word hallelujah and I'm like, oh yeah, we're in the churches and we're like, hallelujah, things are so good. We're celebrating. But I think what this song captures is the entire other half of Hallelujah. You know, he he talks about Samson and Delilah, how, like, Samson loved Delilah so deeply, and she tricked him and cut his hair, which was the source of his power, and it was just this complete betrayal and heartbreak. And I think there are these two sides to love that, as a young person, you don't know about. You're like, oh, that'll never happen to me. I don't need to worry about that. But it was like... Oh, you know, it's like getting punched in the gut is what love really is. It's not, as they say in the song, like it's not a victory march. It is a cold and it is a broken hallelujah. And I think everybody in the world at some point, I mean, if you don't go through this, in some ways I'm happy for you. And in some ways I'm like, what life are you living that you have not been so utterly crushed by the world and by the things that love can offer you and I don't know I thought it was really interesting in Leonard Cohen's version because his lyrics are a little bit different um you know he there's a line that's talking about like there's the joyous hallelujah and there's the desperate hallelujah and I am not a religious person in any way but I think Every time I listen to it, this song brings me closer to whatever God is because there's just so much tied up in that. Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's one of the reasons this song is so timeless and sticks with you. And it speaks to the testament of Leonard Cohen as a songwriter that he could take this pain from his soul and just put it in 80 verses on some paper. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know, like we have that painting in the corner of this room that I wrote hallelujah on because it was like right around that time with Garrett and like seeing the sunset in that painting and seeing sunsets now, like it always brings up this song for me and that emotion and hearing the story of Cohen on the floor in his underwear banging his head against the wall I'm like oh god like yes I get it I get it so much that's really heavy yeah wow I never knew that that's uh part of the reason that that picture said hallelujah on it yeah I think hallelujah 
it's such an interesting juxtaposition on its own. You know, there's like the joyous hallelujahs and the desperate hallelujahs. You say hallelujah and amen when the preacher says something really good and you say hallelujah when you're on your knees and you're like, I have literally nowhere else to go and I don't know if there is a God, but if somebody is up there, like for the love of everything, please help me out right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's just not... A middle ground in that which I understand there's a middle ground in the rest of life but just how big that word can swing I think it really touches my heart yeah and you do you hear it in each of these artists versions right as Rufus Wainwright John Cale are doing their version it's very like sorrowful and as Jeff Buckley's doing his version, like it's desperate, like he's screaming out, like someone hear me. And then you get to Leonard Cohen's version and it's just different because he's got that choir in the background. So it sounds like it should be joyous. And I don't know if that's my my biases about church choirs sneaking <laughs> in. There's always a happy church choir. Always. <laughs> so it sounds like it should be joyous but then just how leonard cohen delivers his words make it sound so much sadder so it is it's a song that really can play with your emotions yeah you know another time that this song came in um was in 2016 and i don't know if you watched saturday night live at the time but it was like right after the elections like we had the elections on tuesday and it was saturday night um, and I can't remember who the actress is that was portraying Hillary Clinton, but she was at the piano playing Hallelujah because Leonard Cohen had just died. And I think, again, um, I know that there are people out there that have all kinds of political opinions and like, Hallelujah to you. Um, I know on that day, I, again, felt that like crushing desperation of like, oh my God, what is happening to our world right now? Um, and she ends it and she's like, I'm not giving up and neither should you. And I think that's the other part of this song is like, you have two options, people. Like you quit or you keep going. And like, for me, at least quitting's not an option yet, as much as it sounds nice sometimes to be like, I'm out. I don't got it anymore. Right. Yeah, boy, I forgot all about that happening. I remember that at the time was very controversial. Oh, yeah. People were so mad. They were like, why are you politicizing Leonard Cohen? It's like, because everything in the freaking world is politicized, you dingus. Yeah, and I don't think Leonard Cohen would have had a problem with it. No, because I think music is inherently political. Um, you know, every side uses it for whatever message they're trying to get out. Uh, whether the artist meant it that way or not, like that doesn't matter anymore. It's part of this cog and this stupid machine we're all in. Oh yeah, like there's versions of um, Tom Morello, Rage Against the Machines guitarist, yeah, playing uh, "This Land Is Your Land," and he adds in the verses that Woody Guthrie wrote that got taken out because they were too political. <laughs> and then at the end of the song, he just says, you know, never give up, never give in. Nobody wins unless we all win. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of nice to see. I mean, that was already a protest song, but it's nice to see that legacy get continued. 
So, and like I said, I think Leonard Cohen would have approved of Saturday Night Live's use of his song. Yeah, absolutely. It, again, like it's one of those songs that crops up at the most gut-wrenching, emotionally wearing times in my life. And I don't know what powers that be bring it in, um, but it is something that gives me solace when I really need it. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know me, I don't cry very often unless we're watching The Notebook. (laughs) I cry so much in that movie, it's cute. I do, Uh, but this song always kind of gives me the feels, and it's hard not to get a tear in my eye when I hear it. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting tears in my eyes right now, like, it's so emotional, but I know. I think that that's just, it's just one of the really nice things about this song in particular um when i know i need a good good cry song it's a good one to go to yeah and it just amazes me too that you know somebody came up with this somebody wrote down those lyrics and wrote out this melody and that to me is one of the most fascinating things about music and that's why i like music so much is that it's just so cool to me to see this creative process and people just bear their soul in a song like that. And it can mean, you know, 300 different things to 300 different people who are covering it and uh, not being a musical person myself. It's, it's really cool. I often think it like how neat it would be to have that person's talent for a day and just be able to play the piano or sing or, you know, play bass really good for like a day. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's so fascinating how artists can pull in all of these different pieces of their lives. Um, Like you, I don't really know a whole heck of a lot about church or church choirs or church music, but it seems like it's always like uplifting and praise be to Jesus and whatever else you're thankful for. Um, But to hear a different side of biblical references you know even talking about I think it was um King Solomon is who he was referencing when he's like um and the baffled king composing hallelujah um you know with religious references like that we still see today how charged um different things can be it's like no this is the one interpretation period and then you get somebody else who looks at the bible and is like actually no they could be talking about this and somebody else who's like well should we include it in our country's laws and all kinds of ridiculous roads you can go down with that um but i just really did appreciate how it was almost like a paradigm shift for me of religion of like it's okay that there's this emotion other than joyous prosperity. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, Lee, do you have any final thoughts or any other versions of Hallelujah you would recommend before we go? I, to me, the, the original is always the best. Um, so Leonard Cohen's is not to be missed if you're a fan of the song and you haven't checked out his version it's worth a listen there's some really good live versions of him as well singing it um so check those out and i don't know this song really got me into leonard cohen's music and 
if you like the song, check out his other stuff. It's it's really good and it's different, but it's different in a really good way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lee, thank you so much for covering this song with me. I really appreciate it. Um, for those of y'all at home, uh, if you have liked our podcast, feel free to like it on whatever platform you're listening to. And we just really sincerely appreciate you being a part of this podcast journey with us. Um, if you weren't listening, it'd just be Lee and I having some more conversations. So it's really nice to pull other folks in. Um, yeah, it's been really cool to our hosting site shows us listener locations, you know, to a certain degree. So it's been really neat to see where everybody's listening in from. And um, we're getting a lot of international listens, which is really cool. We've got some dedicated folks in Ireland and France. And we had our first listen in Australia recently. So it's been really awesome to see all the support. And um, we just can't thank you all enough for tuning in and listening to me ramble and Al make really good poignant uh, points. (laughs) That is very nice of you, Lee. Well, y'all, this has been Songs of Our Own. And until we get to be with you again, enjoy your own songs. 